Welcome to another powerful message from One Life OK. We really hope you enjoy it. I was driving to the dentist yesterday, which I hate to go to the dentist. Does anybody like to go to the dentist? Swell. I didn't even know people could like it. It's interesting. It's not my favorite thing. It was just a little cleaning. Not a big deal. But on the way, I heard the Holy Spirit, and He made this statement to me that the ones who saw the resurrected Jesus first were the intimate ones. Intimate one. I didn't know it was just a one. So I spent the next, um, I spent yesterday and today reading the four Gospels account, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John's account of the resurrection and the crucifixion. And, you know, just like in life, there's four types of personalities, as we all know around here. These were four accounts and they were all different. Isn't that strange? I mean, if that messes with you a little bit, I love how I think Bill Johnson says it like um, God kind of messes with our interpretation of the Bible sometimes, you know, because he he can't change. But our view, how many have had any views of the Bible that has changed in your lifetime? That's a wonderful thing. And I like to read stuff that I don't understand. I like to just keep reading it over and over and over and over again. And so I was thinking today about the one thing that all four Gospels has in common, that they, they all four say that the first person to meet the resurrected Jesus was Mary Magdalene. Now, I, I made a little slide for her tonight. I, who's back there? Benton? It's number four. I'm calling her Perfume Mary. Now remember Mary, she was she had lots of demonic activity. Do you know how many demons they said she had? Seven. What's seven in the kingdom? Perfection. Perfection. So it says that that God delivered her. Jesus came, he delivered her, and it was perfect wholeness. Think about it that the uh, I made a little note to myself. Jesus was born of a virgin, right? And he was also the firstborn of the dead. That means he was the first one to defeat death. Wow. Right? We all you understand that if there wasn't a resurrection, this Jesus would just be another G, little G. The resurrection is what is the distinguishing factor of it, right? The resurrection is what validated the sacrifice that Jesus gave for me and you. Right? And so we've been, obviously, Cece introduced us. If I had to title tonight, I would say resurrection eyesight. I think I made a slide. Resurrection eyesight insight. Because... There is more to understand about what happened around the resurrection than I think we have given it credit for. You know, I love the fact that Jesus came and bore everything that I would ever run into in life on the cross. But after he died, what he did next is pretty impactful. And there were all the gospels told about it. And what happened, though, that's interesting to me is that whenever Jesus died, what was his, this kind of all happened simultaneously. So in those three days, what was Jesus doing? So in the Old Testament, there wasn't a Jesus. So there was a holding place. I don't have time to read about it right now, but it was called Abraham's bosom. So all of those who walked in faith. That was the only criteria ever. Faith is the whole gig. They were, when they died, they were held in Abraham's bosom. And so what did Jesus do during, after death? He went and rescued them. That's what it said. He got back what? The keys. The keys to what? Death, hell, and the grave. And he rescued all those that were in the holding 
But it makes this interesting statement in Mark. It says that when Jesus saw Mary Magdalene at the garden tomb, did you know he was in a garden? When he saw her, he stopped his motion. Where was he headed? It says, he said to Mary, don't cling to me because I've not yet what? Ascended to the Father. So it means he was on the way from wherever that was. He had some kids with him. But he stopped for the one. Why? Because she was the one to learn to worship. Perfume Mary poured out all that she had on earth. She was the one that was at the garden tomb. She was the first one to see that the stone wasn't there. She was the first one to see that all the burial clothes were all neatly, tightly folded. And he stopped by on his way to the Father. It tells me something about worship. It tells me something about what I talked about on Sunday. I want to read this verse to you in Hosea. Hosea is the story of a prostitute that God basically told a man to go and marry a prostitute, to win her back. And who was the prostitute? It was the country of Israel. It was the children of Israel. It was, it was the lost people. We, we, were, we were that prostitute once. And so Jesus, it's a metaphor, it's a whole book, a whole metaphor, but it has this interesting verse hidden in it in Hosea 3, 5. It says, in afterward, which means after we decided that we were valuable, right? After we're not going to be prostitutes anymore. It says, once their devotion is renewed, they'll return and genuinely worship the eternal, their God. And though in their personal rebellion against the royal house of David, and in those days they'll come trembling to the eternal one to rediscover, here's the kicker, his goodness. You thought it would have said his holiness or something. But we're in that day. When rebellion ends in me, what is available is restored devotion. How many have had that happen? Where you didn't even know, remember what I said Sunday, that when Jesus said, give me a drink of the lady at the well, he was saying to her, what is the drink? Her. It's kind of mind-blowing to realize that I am a drink for the king. He's the river, he's the well, he's the source, he's the all, he's the everything. He's, but my devotion to him is what he drinks in. And it was so impactful, think about it. It was so impactful that he stopped by the garden tomb where he was with all of his friends. It says in another verse that there were people of old roaming around in the city that had been dead. I like how Bill Johnson tells it. He says, like, King David's like, hey, well, I guess we're hanging out here for a little bit. Let's, <laughs> let's kick around, see who's living in the old neighborhood, right? What happened? They were waiting. Wow. They're in the care of Jesus. But Jesus' heart is so moved by devotion. He's so moved by intimacy. He's so moved that he, that he set aside the mission, if you will. And see, think about it. That's true resurrection eyesight. In his resurrected state, he was still moved to come by and touch the one. And do you know what he said? He, he appeared to her and she said, do you know where they've laid him? And what did he do then? Do you know? He said, Mary. You remember when he just said your name? I remember where I was sitting in my bed at home when he said, he calls me Teresa, not Tisa. Teresa, you don't know me as a daughter. 
You're real good at working for me. I'm a worker bee. But you don't know me. And I stepped into a relationship with intimacy. I stepped into in a relationship with letting him see into me. And you know what happened? He let me see into him. He let me see what moves his heart. In that moment, I stepped away from working for him and I stepped into loving people. I stepped into being able to see the gold in you. See, before, I would do nice stuff for you, but I didn't know how to make you shiny. And see, that's really the invitation, isn't it? You know, it goes on to say that he told, Mary became the very first evangelist. Anybody that thinks they have an evangelistic call should take note of this story. Because in that moment, it was devotion that got the instruction. He said, go and tell. It was interesting, who did she go tell? She went and told those committed ones, those 11 guys, you know, the funny thing, whenever Paul tells the story, Mary didn't even make, she didn't even get a shout out. In 1 Corinthians 12, 15, I'm going to read a little bit about it tonight. But see, the reality is, is that she went and told a bunch of scared men that were hiding out in the upper room. Not the upper room of Acts, a different upper room. And remember what happened. Jesus even came to see them and they, remember Thomas? He said, well, I'm not even going to believe unless what? How many books of Thomas are there in the Bible? You see, that, that place of devotion is what he's calling us to. Where it transcends fear then. I, I implore you to go read these accounts because it's displaying to us that you know, the only other guy, only one of these four accounts in John, John made special note three times to tell how fast he could run. He called himself the other disciple. He could run faster than Peter. He ran faster. He ran. He, that was his three in three or four verses. He talks about how fast he could run. Why? He was the one that Jesus loved. See, our story the way we tell the story indicates what our focus is. There's no St. Mary, Book of Mary. Somebody says there is. I haven't read it. Right? Because why? The devotion gets overlooked. Remember the other Mary? Martha and Mary? What happened to that Mary? It was the same thing. That Mary was interested in what? Learning sitting at the feet of Jesus. It wasn't like she was sluggard. She wasn't lazy. But she got called out. See, in, in the generations before us, we were measured by what we did. This generation is going to be measured by what we devote our hearts to. Just think about it. I can't worship Him when I'm concentrating on something else. I can't give my attention to Him when my focus is on something else. And so the whole point I believe that the Holy Spirit revealed to Cece about these resurrected eyes is because He's trying to demonstrate that there, were, there was all of this activity when Jesus was resurrected and the same thing's going to happen to us. Yes. But first we what? First we die. What are we dying to? Let's, let me read you a little passion translation, um, Sacred Journey, can I? If you've never read the Sacred Journey, it's a beautiful book uh, about the Song of Songs, um, Song of Solomon, Song of Songs, however you want to say it. And it's a journey of learning how to be intimate with God. If you don't know how to be intimate with God, it's a great book to help you. And in the very, the very first chapter, the name of that chapter is The Kiss of God. And this is what he said. Dust and deity mingled when the maker kissed his spirit wind into Adam. 
Your creator knows that true transformation comes by relationship. A powerful relationship with Christ where love's torrent covers your sin and makes you lovely in his sight. Jesus never comes to scare us into submission, but he woos us into intimate friendship with him. God delivered his transforming truth and the grace for change in a relational package, the person of his son. Grace has a face, and his face is smiling toward us each and every day. Walls that keep us from intimacy must come down. Let's repeat that. Walls that keep us from intimacy must come down. Let's say it again. Walls that keep us from intimacy must come down. Think about where they were built and the disappointments. Who disappointed us? God or people? It's usually people. Sometimes it's God. Sometimes we have questions for God that we don't even really ask. We just have them. We don't really go to Him. I promise you, God is not afraid of your questions. In fact, He's probably the author of the question. And if you would go to Him and say, what is your question? Whatever it is, He has an answer. And that answer will be an invitation into a relationship with Him. Help her. It says, we can no longer hide behind a wall of our ugly, demeaning feelings about ourselves. Can we just repent for that right now? Where did we get those ugly, demeaning feelings about ourselves? Were they spoken over you? Were they demonstrated to you? Do you just keep them going? It says, Jesus sees in us a suitable companion that will flood his heart with joy for all eternity. We need to fill our mind with the truth of how God sees us. Others will always judge us by our greatest weaknesses. Anybody ever had that? Anybody ever had judgment about their weaknesses? That's not a good feeling. It's telling us right there. Why is that happening? If I don't know who I am, I can't give you who you are. I don't know who I am, so I'm just looking to you. Hey, we got we both got stripes on. Sorry. So rabbit went by, didn't it? Others judge us by our weakness, but God sees the glory of His sun shining in us. Our hearts tell us we're not worthy. I'm a bad person. I'm this or that. But we need to remember this. The love of our King has stepped out of eternity. It is not a momentary thought or simply a mood God has in the moment. It is eternally ours. It's Jesus. Since His love is an eternal love, it will not end the first time we fail. I don't know if you know this, but God worked that into the equation. Everything... You know, since Jesus, I think I started to read this a while ago. Since Jesus was born a virgin, he was also the firstborn of the dead, which means he was resurrected. In his birth, he was the first one to the first one to embrace him was his mother Mary, right? She was a virgin. In his second birth from the dead, who was the first one to embrace him? Mary. Who was she? She was the sign of perfect perfect wholeness. It says that his death closed out the law and his second death was the inauguration to the hour of grace. So see, that's what Jesus came. He said he came to fulfill the law. What was the law? It was, remember how the law started. God wanted to have what with the children of Israel? He wanted to have relationship, 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 relationship. I don't know if you understand this about God, but that's how he made you. He made you for a relationship. When we don't, I'm divorced. Did I pick the wrong guy? Does it does my ability to have relationship end? If I'm in a crappy marriage, can I not have relationship? No, that's not relationship with God makes all my relationships different. Yes. And see, I God made me for a relationship, so I'm going to always be striving to have it. 
If I can't have it in one way, I'm going to be striving to do it another way. I'm going to be what? Remember what I said on Sunday? I'm going to manipulate people to get my desires if I don't rework my desires after the tree of life. And so since he closed out the law, we believe that, right? Then this is the hour of grace. And we've been talking about grace. What is grace? I grew up thinking it was the big cover-up. But it's actually the power. It feels different thinking it's just going to cover up something versus that it's going to empower me to do something. Doesn't that feel different? And so when I come up to a situation I'm not good at. Listen, we have to learn to believe that the Bible, first off, gives me instructions to live. And then I have to learn how to use those instructions to make the Bible come true. So if he says, go into all the world, heal the sick, cast out demons, raise the dead, and I'm not doing any of that, then that means I haven't learned how to. It doesn't mean that it wasn't true. You know, we can't take the Bible and say, oh, I don't understand it. That was for some other day. I'm just going to live however I want. Because what will end up happening, I will end up making decisions with people that don't lead to peace. Ugh, there ain't nothing. I'm a peace bringer. I'm a peacemaker, not a peacekeeper. I will mess up you and I will trigger you just to try to help you find peace. Because our own way gets into this uh, drudgery of striving and rule making and goal setting and all these things that come from our own soul to try to keep everything going the way we think it should go. But when Jesus steps in, and he's about relationship, my goals become completely different. I'm not void of making goals. See, that's the thing we get messed up on. I make them in conjunction with keeping with peace. And what happens is I build more peace. Peace keeps building. Now, one of the things I want us to think about tonight, I uh, Cece wrote this word about the resurrection eyes, and I made another little slide. It says, glory-filled scars are inviting you to resurrection secret garden. So, let's use this story I'm talking about tonight. Why was Mary waiting at the garden tomb, wanting to go in and see what was going on? I feel like it was unusual that they had to put a big old rock in front of the tomb because they made a special note and the gospel's telling us that they made a special note in the story to put a rock in front of the tomb because they were afraid he was going to what? He said he was going to be, res- be resurrected. He said in three days. Right? I hope they show this in The Chosen. I don't know if they're going to. But they were scared. They had given their whole three years of their life to a man who just died. It says they didn't even remember that he said he was going to be resurrected. And they even said, remember what he said? And they was like, no. (laughs) Three whole days and they've forgotten everything. I mean, I feel like it was pretty pertinent that he said, okay, you know what? I'm going to die, but don't worry. In three days, I'll be resurrected. And it literally says in all four of the gospels, they forgot. And it it says that Jesus had to reprimand them, correct them, whatever word you want to use, for what? Their hard heart. Even when Mary, the devoted one, came and told them he's been resurrected, they still didn't believe. She said, I I came from him just now. I was hugging him. And I just came from him. And I just saw him. And he just said to me to come tell you. And they still said, we don't believe you. And he said, your heart is so hard. Wow. Their heart got hard hard in three days. Did you know there was no one at the cross but John and and the Marys, all the women, 100 women it said or something. But none of the disciples were there. What happened? It it shows me that even being with Jesus and seeing miracles, none of them poured out their offering at his feet. 
Only Mary. And what happened when Mary did it? They judged her. People are going to judge your devotion. But if you want to see what I want to see, I want to see him in his glory while I'm living here. I know when I get there, I will, but I want to see him on you. You want to see him on me. I want to see him. I don't care if people are judging me or hating on me or telling you you shouldn't be doing that or don't be going there. Yeah, y'all go to church way too much. I hear that. Y'all are there way too long. I don't care. I'm not doing it. We will worship till the glory comes. Whatever that takes. Why? It's the point. Because otherwise, why are we even gathering? If we're not gathering to feel a touch of the Holy Spirit, if we're not gathering to pour out our devotion, if we're not gathering to give Him all that we have, then I won't see. I won't be there. I won't be available. I'll be home watching the Super Bowl. I'll be someplace else. And when someone comes to me and says, I've seen him. Have you ever gone to anybody and said, I've touched him. I've seen him. And they said, I don't want that. I don't want that. See, there's this invitation. I love how Cece, let me read you one little snippet from her word. She says, that Papa said, I've already made a secret garden for you. I've planted the softest grass and covered the shaded places in velvet moss. I had to look up what that was. It's real pretty. Flowers designed with you in mind are a place just right to catch your eye. Here, beauty beckons for your wonder to rise, reminding you of the sweeter things of life. I've planted a place of refuge just for you, where comfort grows in ample supply, full of answers to all your whys, and streams of soothing waters flow to wash the wounds of your soul. That's the invitation of devotion. If you don't know, if you don't see your garden, I love Tessa was telling me on Sunday that she's going to draw her garden, a place where her and Jesus, I was like, oh, I can't wait to see it. No pressure, though. <laughs> but if you don't have that secret garden with him, you've got to, you got to do some time logged. You know, I tell this story, but when I first encountered God, the way I encounter him now, I, I just worked for him hard. And I remember he said, I want you to just come and sit. Nobody taught me this, but I just would get a notepad because my mind was so busy. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't make it be still. And I would just, he would just say, he told me, write down everything you're thinking. And I would just write and write and write and write. I mean, for months, all my time, if you haven't ever had to go through this, just be thankful. All my time was just spent writing all my thoughts, and they were everywhere. Until one day, without me even knowing it, I wasn't writing anymore. I was just sitting, hearing him, watching him, being with him. That created this thing in me that I couldn't describe. It created a longing. It created a thing in me where I began to think, I miss him. I remember there was a time for years that we'd be sitting at a restaurant and I would say, I've got to go. i got to go. I would leave meals and go. And sometimes if I didn't drive myself, I would just sit in the car and I would just, I would have to be with him. Because why? He, he kept wooing. That's what he's doing for some of y'all. You're hard and crusty. You're like the disciples. Your heart is hard because life has been crappy. I know. 
No one's ever understood you or known you. You've been hurt and disappointed and you just we just get hard. And the disciples have been with Jesus and three days they're like, nope. I don't remember anything that happened. I know no miracles or nothing. They're probably all, they all probably think, well, we got to go back to fishing now. That's what we do because we don't know how to wait. We don't know how to wait until the rivers wash all the crustiness away. And then what happens is he gives you this soft heart again. Don't you hate a hard heart? Some people don't even know what it's like to have a hard heart, but I do. And so that that continual devotion with him, and you know, if you don't know how to do what I'm talking about tonight, there's, you know, our worship times and we have, you know, a healing room and encounter room. Those are just times where you can just come and just sit. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to lift your hands or run around. You can just sit because why? He's trying to wash off the disappointment off the old mindsets, off the ways that we just thought things should have gone and should have been, to what? To pour out His devotion over us. And see, when I feel His love that way, I have to respond. You know, That's really what the resurrection is about, is that I'm different when I've been resurrected. Jesus was different. I mean, he didn't really care that the old dead guys were running around. It says he appeared to over 500 people. Let's, let's read it. Yeah, let's read it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. It says, Dear friends, let me, this is the passion, let me give you clearly the heart of the gospel that I've preached to you, the good news that you have hardly received on which you stand. For it is through the revelation of the gospel that you're being saved. Huh. I like that. If you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, if you fasten your life firmly to the message I've taught you, unless you have believed in vain, for I have shared with you what I have received and what is of utmost importance. The Messiah died for our sins. Fulfilling the prophecies of Scripture, He was buried in a tomb, and He was raised from the dead after three days, as foretold to the Scriptures. Then He appeared to Peter the Rock and the other twelve apostles. Well, Mary didn't get a shout out there, but she got to see Him first. He also appeared to more than 500 of His followers at the same time, most of whom are still alive as I write this. He then appeared to Jacob. How do you know that James's real name was not James, it's Jacob. He appeared to Jacob and to all the apostles. Last of all, he appeared in front of me like one born prematurely, ripped from the womb. Now, interesting enough, when I was reading this today, in the commentary it talks about this verse over in um, Psalms 110. Listen to this, Psalms 110.3. Your people will be your love offerings. This is, a, this is what David said. In the day of your mighty power, you will be exalted. And in the brightness of your holy ones, you will shine. That's what we just sang about. An army arising from the womb of the dawn. The womb of the dawn. Who's ever heard of that? Except for this afternoon, I got an email from Chris Valton, and the title of his email was Womb of the Dawn. I thought I was going to elevate. I don't know. More on that later. Womb of the Dawn. So yes, I'm the most insignificant, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 15, of all the apostles, unworthy to even be called an apostle because I hunted down believers and persecuted God's church. He was a murderer, remember? But God's amazing grace, here's the hour of grace. To me was not fruitless. Grace, not fruitless. What's that mean? If I realize I'm empowered by grace, how do I live? Do I have shame? Do I have guilt? 
Can I live? Can I have the audacity to live like I've never sinned? Yes. Can you? Yes. You can. That's the power of grace. You see, the reason behind what Jesus did, instead of just trying to make sure you don't feel bad, it's an empowerment to go and do and be what he said. He said, but God's amazing grace has made me who I am, and his grace to me was not fruitless. In fact, I worked harder than all the rest, yet not in my own strength, but God's, for his empowering grace is poured out upon me. So this is what we have all taught you, and whether it was through me or someone else, you now believe the gospel. This message, this is what he said, the importance of resurrection, verse 12. This message we preached is Christ, who has been raised from the dead. So how could any of you possibly say there's no resurrection from the dead? For if there is no such a thing as resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ had not been raised, all of our preaching has been for nothing. And your faith is useless. That shows you how significant res the resurrection was. Yeah. It should be our focus. It should be our aim. Wow. I want to have some of that. Yeah. I want to have me some resurrection. So I have to what? Die. What's dying? The old Adam nature, the law. Moreover, if the dead are not raised, verse 15, that would mean that we are false witnesses who are misrepresenting God. And that would mean that we have preached a lie, stating that God raised him from the dead if he really did it. And if the dead aren't raised up, that would mean that Christ has been, hasn't been raised up either. Don't you love how he keeps saying that would mean and that would mean. And if Christ is not alive, you're lost in your sins and your faith is a fantasy. Listen, the resurrection is what separates Jesus from everybody else claiming to be some sort of God. You can dive into Jesus with everything you have. And if you do that, you die. In this resurrection, think about someone coming to see you resurrected. I just love to think about just that we can have what Jesus demonstrated. And we don't even have to die on the cross. We receive him as a free gift to what? To enter into the resurrected life. To enter into the life that is not about the law. Because the reason why he made the law was this, he wanted to have a relationship. God can't change himself. So he had to do something to en encapsulate us into holiness. And that's Jesus. Listen, this is really what salvation is. This is the way I like to look at it. There's just this jacket here, and I just step into the jacket. And I zip it up. The jacket is Jesus. Not because I'm horrible. But because it's a plan. Because he's so loved. God so loved humanity. God so loved. God so loved. He made a plan. The plan is Jesus. I step into Jesus. I get all the benefits like I'm Jesus. I can live different if I believe this. If I believe that Jesus has moved in and made his home in me, he said it was better that he goes away and I go encounter the Holy Spirit in an encounter. Yes. I need to encounter the Holy Spirit in an actual encounter. There needs to be an evidence I've encountered him in an encounter. What does he have to do? He has to transform my speech because my tongue is the, my most unruly member. I promise you, some of you would start to speak in tongues instead of gripe. You'd have a whole new life. You would because you're prophesying everything you're getting. Listen, none of us are exempt from watching what we're saying. No one in here is exempt from watching what you're saying. You can come up here and say all kinds of crap to me, but listen, you're getting what you're saying to me. And that, that's why we, when we have an encounter, he encounters this. Uh. That's why I have to keep, it says, pray in tongues at all times. 
What time is it? Tongue time. <laughs> what time is it? Tongue time. That's what time it is. If you're not good at it, then come up here. We'll pray. We'll just keep praying until you let go or hold on or something and something breaks. <laughs> you don't have to be scared of it. You can do it in the privacy of your home, but don't, don't use this tongue for something else because it's power. Your tongue is power. It says that it's the same type of power that a ship can have on a rudder. You know a big old cruise ship? Have you ever seen their rudder? Yeah. It's little. One of those little tugboats can come over and go, just push it. The rudder is small compared to the size of the boat. Think about a little boat that you just, you know, put one of those little boaters on, whatever, you know. Those little rudders are about this big. I mean, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much for your tongue to ruin your whole life. Come on, let me trigger you a little bit. <laughs> Verse 18, it would also mean that those believers in Christ who have passed away have simply perished. If the, the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, we deserve to be pitied more than others. If Jesus doesn't mean there's life eternal, what's the point? That's what he's saying. Listen, eternity needs to be in your mind right now. Yes. Your decisions need to be about your legacy and about eternity, not about whether you want a taco. Yes. Your decisions have long-lasting effects on everyone around you. You're connected. To, everybody's connected to somebody. Your decisions, your lack of consultation and wisdom, your lack of uh, seeking out a better understanding, it affects your decisions. Yeah. Verse 20 says, but the truth is Christ is risen from the dead. Ha! <laughs> As the first fruit of a great resurrection harvest yeah. of those who have died. Let's die now. For since death came through one man, Adam, it is fitting that the resurrection of the dead has also come through the man, Christ. Even as all who are in Adam die, so also are all who are in Christ will be made alive. But each one in its proper order, Christ, the first fruits, then those who belong to Christ in his presence. It says, then the final stage of completion comes and he will bring to an end every other rulership, authority, and power. And he will hand over to his, to his kingdom. He will hand his kingdom over to his father. Until then, he's destined to reign as king until all hostility has been subdued and placed under his feet. And the last enemy to be subdued and eliminated is what? Death itself. The father has placed all things in subjection under the feet of Christ. So that tells me, if I'm in Jesus, where, where are all things for me? Under my feet. What needs to be under there? Other people? What? The enemy. If we were all together and we're all in unity... What if the enemy works through somebody that you love? Well, you better get that under there. Or it's going to what? It's going to shape you. It's going to mold you. That's what happened to all of us. Right? We were raised by people who didn't know God. We learned a bunch of crazy mindsets and stuff. We became hurt and disappointed and disillusioned. All the D's. And we, no one told us how to get the D's fixed up. We just carry around the D's and we're like, you're probably going to D me, aren't you? I'm pretty sure you are one of the D's. I don't know, deflated, disappointed. I don't know. And so then we're judging everybody about what they might do to us instead of trying to unify and understand them. See, when I come and I understand you, I give you the grace I've experienced. When I'm judging you, I give you the wall that I have built up in my own heart. It just depends on what you want. Because he's about relationship, 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 relate. Do your hand like that. Relationship, relationship, relationship. That's what he's about. He's not going to change that just because we're not good at it. Right. 
I'm going to skip on down. Verse 39. He's talking about when it dies. He's talking about a grain of wheat when it dies. He says, when it dies, God gives it a new form. A body to fulfill his purpose. And he sees to it that each seed gets a new body of its own and becomes a plant he designed it to be. Wow, that is the best picture of what resurrection does right there that you can get anywhere. It even says in the four Gospels that Jesus appeared to different people in a different form. How did he do that? Because he was resurrected. <laughs> How does a little seed become a tree? It gets resurrected. Okay, hurry. Apply that to yourself quickly. How do you become everything God intended you to be? You have to get resurrected. And so if you see the invitation of God, He's inviting you into something that's going to transform you. You just have to give a little. Your life. The whole thing. Not the portion that you're comfortable with. If you step into giving Him your whole life, He will transform it. He will transform it. He will make it into something completely different. And that's the invitation of this resurrected eyesight. I implore you to go and read these four Gospels because it's so good to realize that just as we tell a story different. You know, I try to teach everybody this. I'm not telling a story for facts. I'm telling a story for how it felt when it happened. So something in me, just like these guys were telling you know, John, it was it was important to him. I'm beating Peter. I'm beating Peter. He had to put that in the book. Irrelevant to the story. Who came in first? It just shows you humanity is more focused on competition. Right? It even John even said, I didn't go in the tomb. I just waited. As a good introvert to see. And Peter went right on by him and saw it. Why is that important? Because it shows that when our focus is about us, we miss the opportunity to see resurrection. Come on, Cece. Oh, sorry. I'll get it. Thank you, Tisa. That was going to, that was a little too much air for me on that fan here. One second. It's okay. We had multiple fans going. I got chilly. Yeah. Yeah. It looks, made you look more supernatural. You know, <laughs> things are happening. <laughs> this is such a cool word. I love the exploration of this word of the year that he's given us and all that's going to continue to unfold from it. Something was occurring to me, um, you know, I love the journey. The Holy Spirit will speak to you through your normal day-to-day life, stuff that you don't even think is spiritual, you know. He'll speak to you. And as I shared in the Word of the Year, I've been reading this series of books that's a, a Christian historical fiction books. And so I just started another one, and it's about these cities of refuge. And they take place back in the time of when the Israelites were rescued out of Egypt, but they're in the wilderness and now they're starting to get to the promised land and they're just starting to set up house and stuff like that. So it's really interesting because when these little bitty tidbits from scripture get elaborated in story form like that, you really start to see the heart of God in some unique ways. And so I didn't even know this was a thing, but apparently um, God told Moses that when they got to the promised land that to set up these cities of refuge, and there were like five specific cities that were cities of refuge. And as Tisa said, there were a bunch of laws that he, that were implemented back then. And, but there were these, so there were certain laws, basically, if you hurt someone, they had a right to take revenge on you, right? If you killed someone, their family member could come and kill you. And that was fair. That was, you know, what the law said. Well, God's heart was always for there to be a place of refuge, even from those just black and white laws. And I just think that's so cool. So what he set up was that there were these laws, everybody to live by, but there were these five cities of refuge. And if you accidentally hurt someone, and if you accidentally killed someone even, you could just run to that city and say, mercy, mercy, mercy. And the law was they would let you in and they would keep you safe. They would put a guard around you 
And then they would, they would basically ensure that you had a just trial and actually hear your case before that somebody could come and kill you, you know? And so the heart of God behind that, even though this was before Jesus and Jesus came and rewrote all of that, his heart is, is so um, apparent. He always meant for there, there to be a place for refuge for you in your life, even when you mess up and you deserve what your consequence is, or even when somebody else, you know, however life happens, you know, there's always, he always meant for there to be a refuge for you to run to. And it was interesting in worship when I started hearing these, a few little lyrics and um, talking about that and that he was, Jesus is the refuge now, you know, Jesus is our point of refuge. But in the Old Testament, you had to run to these cities because they were, you know, fixed points on the map. Um, but in worship, he was telling me that you cry mercy and I come running. I, I am, I'm the place of refuge. You cry mercy, but I'm the one that comes running now. You don't have to make it to this far off land. You don't have to go through a bunch of obstacles. He comes to you. And really, we're being invited in tonight to, to simply believe in the power of that. There's so much that Tisa said tonight um, that really just... It really does question our faith. Will you just believe it? Will you believe in the power of resurrection and the purpose of resurrection? There's a power and a purpose of resurrection. And we don't always have to see it in order to believe that it's happening in our lives. So if you have something going on in your life and you say, mercy, mercy, and you're calling for that refuge to come, he comes. That's just a fact. Okay. That's just who he is. You don't have to feel something. You don't have to know an outcome. You don't have to get an answer. He just comes and that's who he is. That's just how it is. Um, so his heart for there to be that place of refuge just goes along with this to me. And I wanted to go ahead and read um, my full word from on this resurrection eyesight that was just came from a, such an encounter of basically saying, help, you know, can you help me? I don't even know what the problem is. I can't even tell you, Jesus, what the problem is. I was just like, I don't feel right. And so that's how this word started. I don't feel right. And I know that you want to help me. And so um, although there was a lot of really cool revelation released in this word, I just want you to listen for the encounter tonight. And your encounter doesn't have to look like this. But the point is this just to hear God's heart behind it for your encounter and what he wants to do um, in this resurrection process. So I started off just saying, Yahweh, Yeshua, Holy Spirit, come and wash me with your wind today. I can't exactly see the grime, but I feel its weight. I'm not sure what needs tending to, releasing, mending, or redefining, but I know that my soul is not receiving the pure joy and hope of your presence today. Something is in the way. Something is causing me to find safety and comfort in settling, in accepting something less than the dream you planted in me. More and more, I discover childlike faith operating in me, as if it's been set free, healed, and nurtured to fully believe, to fully operate as you intended, to just believe that when, to, to just believe when you speak. It's different than it used to be. I used to hear you and be amazed, but all the same, just settle for what could be if even half of what you'd spoken were true. It was as if I didn't have the capacity to fully hope in keeping with your words. As if my heart was so used to shallow breathing that to expand with the fullness of breath riding on your words was just too much for me. To breathe that fully would simply be too risky. But lately I discover that in hindsight I have simply believed. Not just daring to believe in part, but a simple acceptance of truth. As if sometime in the past, I settled into a rhythm of breathing quite naturally instead of living on labored breath. It happened so naturally that apparently I didn't even notice, which in and of itself meant I wasn't prepared for the falling. That's disappointment. I wasn't prepared for the moment that life spit out in contradiction to my belief. I wasn't insulated by self-protectors anymore. I wasn't cushioned by half-hearted belief with one foot on each side of the line for stability. But those are all things that you healed in me. You saw the way they distorted my identity and freedom to live and walk and have my being in you. So 
You must not have meant for them to be tools at times like this. You must have a different plan, a different way for childlike faith to keep believing without restraint. Right now, I can't seem to find the way or convince my soul to lift its gaze. It feels content to stay in its hiding place. How do I entice it to come out once again when it's still marked with so much pain? And Papa said, daughter, son, what if I said it was time for a retreat? Maybe your soul isn't so off in its methods of survival. Maybe it's just a matter of time with me instead of, a, of solitude for safety. Time with me instead of solitude for safety. What if I told you that you could come away with me? What if I said I was ready to walk away with you to a place of safety? Maybe you could learn to retreat with me. You see, I have all the time in the world to spend with you. And I actually desire to look with you at all the details of life, including the missed moments, the hard times, the pain that breaks and leaves disappointment behind. In fact, I've already made a secret garden just for this. I've planted the softest grass and covered the shaded places in velvet moss. Flowers designed with you in mind are placed just right to catch your eye. Here, beauty beckons for your wonder to rise, reminding you of the sweeter things of life. Yes, I've planted a place of refuge for you. Where comfort grows in ample supply, full of answers to all your whys, and streams of soothing waters flow to wash the wounds of your soul. Do you think you could come away with me here? Would you take the risk one more time and allow me to see inside? I think the child inside is still eager to believe. Perhaps she could use what remains of her faith to take my hand. Perhaps her childlike eyes can still see the safe invitation in mine. I love the way he just meets us right where we at, we're at, you know. He's not afraid to, to encourage us and to remind us and of what we need to know to just take the step he knows that we're able to take next. But Papa, I said, what if it's people? What if it's people that hurt and disappoint? They aren't you, and there's a good chance they're not even trying to be you. How will a retreat with you help me with them? What could change by looking at these painful places, by opening wounds that will likely happen again? How can a retreat with you change anything between me and them? I know you can't promise circumstances will change and that you honor free will and their ability to choose to remain the same. And he said, sweet one, you're right. Retreat with me won't change them in the least, but it will change the way you see. If I could give you eyes to see, wouldn't that be something? If I could give you eyes to see them differently, to see circumstances with different vision, that would change your experience completely. Right now, the pain and heavy weights come from how you see. Trauma has a way of planting these seeds. It gives you vision that wasn't from me. It places filters over your eyes so that when circumstances arise, you are reminded of every way pain has scraped and left you wounded. It's the reminder of that pain, of the way you were harmed in the past, that causes present circumstances to inflict more of the same. But I have the ability to cleanse your eyes. I have the ability to remove the filters, to wash the memories, to paint them afresh with a holy mending. I have the power to remove the sting, to disconnect them from the way you perceive. I sever the ties that remind. He said, my healing isn't just for a momentary trip to the nurse's office. I don't place band-aids and send you on your way. I remove every bit of debris from the wound so that it can fully heal and be made whole. I flush the broken open places with my own blood. 
I stake a claim over the land each wound threatens to take, and I claim it once again as mine and decree that my suffering paid the price for it. I look with my resurrected eyes, not just in spirit, but in the physical body that Yahweh said to rise. I embody wholeness. I am wholeness, and my presence decrees victory and resurrection life for all that I see. Yes, as the one who overcame death, hell, and the grave, who rose into the heavens as the embodiment of, jo of God joined with mankind, I see with resurrection eyes. So when I look upon your wounds from life, my eyes release resurrection into glory. My eyes see the completeness of my own journey. My eyes see your wounds as my own, now shining with glory and wholeness. Your vulnerability with me and your willingness to come away and let me see releases resurrection, life, and glory. Allowing me to see inside prophesies over every wound that it too will be seated in glory seated at the right hand of the Father with heavenly perspectives, ruling and reigning with love's perfection. This is the plan I made for childlike faith to be sustained in this life. This is the way childlike faith thrives. The gaps between experience and faith become gateways for resurrection eyesight. Have you considered, he said, one little P.S. nugget, okay? Have you considered the upgrade resurrection brought me? I was born through a woman in a, into a very natural state. By 33, my natural man had sustained plenty of wear and tear, even before it was beaten. Resurrection didn't just restore me to my previous condition. Resurrection remade me. It rebirthed me into an upgrade. I was fully restored, not to an earthly state, but to the divine design for mankind. I walk now in wholeness of body, soul, and spirit, and my scars, though present, no longer speak of harm, but of glory's fulfillment. This is the hand I'm now extending, glory-filled scars, inviting you to resurrection's secret garden. Oh, such a powerful word, such a powerful proclamation of his heart for us. And, you know, I'm seeing this even in the story that in the that Tisa shared tonight in the perfume Mary. Is that what you called her? Perfume Mary. So perfume Mary had to have this process with Jesus initially. Right. She had to be um, those demons had to be removed out of her and she had to be healed of that demonic influence in her life. But then, see, Jesus knew she needed another garden experience. She had faith and she had been made whole as, when he first healed her. He cast out those demons. She was filled with hope. She began to see herself how she really was. She had childlike faith. She had devotion to God. But her devotion was in a struggle at that point. Her devotion was in a, a, in a trauma, right? Jesus had been killed. He's laying in the tomb. Now his body's not there. What's happened? She was in a struggle in that moment in the story. So her childlike faith, her devotion to God was taking a blow. And Jesus said, think about it as, as Jesus shared tonight, he stopped what he was doing and said, I'm coming to you. And he came to her. He walked to her. He came running to where she was because it's important to him that we maintain what he did in, in our initial healing process. It's important that he wants to keep it going. He will, he will help you keep it safe and intact. He will help you keep your, your identity, your, um, your faith, your childlike faith, your trust and your hope. He wants to continuously nurture that and maintain that. And, you know, years and years ago, we actually had a little um, root note that we sang in worship. I don't even think I was singing with worship yet. And we talked about the night gardener. And he is the night gardener. That's been coming back to my mind lately, too. And I've been praying into that. He's the night gardener. And the nighttime often rep represents in our times of difficulty when there's darkness. You know, it looks like night. There's no, we can't see the sun in the nighttime. But he's the night gardener. He will tend to your garden. And he is eager to meet with you in that garden. Resurrection, you experiencing resurrection is important to him. 
So, Papa, we just thank you for this message tonight. I thank you that you so mercifully pour out even more and more revelation, more angles, more ways that we can relate to the stories in the Bible, for the teaching in the Bible, to the scriptures, that you are constantly bringing your story more to life for us in a way that we can relate to. I thank you for what you said when we delivered the word of the year, that you started the word in a place we can all relate to. We can all relate to pain and disappointment. No matter what has happened in our life, we all know pain and disappointment. And you meet us there. You meet us there and you walk us into this resurrection life where we become something that we don't even know is possible, that we haven't seen yet. And Papa, when you invite us to come and die so we can experience the resurrection, you don't even require that we know what has to die. We don't even require that we do do that part on our own. You walk us through every step with us. You walk it through with us. You're constantly with us because it is truly all about relationship for you. So we just say yes to your relationship tonight, Papa. We say yes to your invitation. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did, for all that you modeled, for the way that you still come, for the way that you stand and you rule and reign in this life and you fight for what you bought. You fight for what you paid for on the cross and you fight for it for us on our behalf. You're already seated in heavenly places, but you want us seated there with you too. You want us living out of that place, having perspectives that are seated and viewing life from that place. So I thank you for all that you do. And I thank you, Holy Spirit, that is your job to reveal to us the things that we don't know. It is your job to remind us of the things that we've forgotten. It's your job to remind us of what Jesus said, even though our hearts have maybe been hardened after three days of something difficult. You remind us and you breathe on that fire. You breathe on that spark because it never completely goes out. You breathe on that flame until it sparks to life and burns even brighter once again. Not just because it's some 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 service we can do for you but because it's really our identity it's really our identity to be bright shining lights and then we too become a light on a hill a city of refuge for others who speak of your promise and of your availability to be a refuge for them so i thank you jesus i thank you holy spirit i thank you papa god we just say yes and we love you warrior team we say yes to your plan yes to your ways lead us and guide us and wrap this message up in a way that makes it personal for us each and every one of us so we thank you we love you in jesus's mighty name amen thank you for listening to this message from one life okay for more information please visit us at onelifeok.com. Okay